Welcome to Life on Mars, a podcast about technology, entrepreneurship, and innovation. You will listen to stories of the best founders, inventors, experts, and celebrities from all around the galaxy. Hi, everyone. Alex Sian, founder here. Welcome to another episode of Life on Mars, and what a week it's been. For those of you listening and watching us from the future, you will know that last week Facebook went down for several hours. It was not the typical outage. They basically plugged themselves off the internet, right? So there was something messing with their BGP protocol and whatnot, and they had this major problem, which basically their employees couldn't even entered their facilities because the sensors were controlled by IoT mechanisms and sensors that were connected to the Facebook DNSs. And of course, they couldn't, they couldn't even authenticate into the system, right? So the whole inter, I mean, not the whole internet, but part of the internet went down because Facebook, WhatsApp and, and Instagram, three major tech companies went down because of this process, which is still unclear in part why, why that happened, but that's why we brought two experts in site reliability. And from the technical perspective, of course, we've got uh, Victor Castells, who is right now uh, one of the engineers at uh, Japan Talent, one of the uh, most, let's say, well-known startups from the Spanish ecosystem built in Ruby on Rails, if you allow me that. And also our good friend, Jordi Miro, who has been in the podcast for several times already because uh, of his you know, expertise in many, many things. Uh, basically, who was the the CTO of, of Wacky TV, who eventually went on to become Rakuten TV after the Rakuten Group acquired that company in 2012, if I'm not mistaken, and then went on to have several other roles. But we wanted to have also the perspective of a corporate because he had been working in Wacky and other corporates in his career, right? So we, we can confront basically the startup vision uh, versus the corporate vision in this episode. It's a sort of a three-way conversation. We basically just discuss what happened at Facebook and and how can startups and how can companies prevent these? Is there a manual style a guide on how to act in these situations? Where when should you write one? Uh, how how do you act? How do you communicate to clients? When do you communicate to the partners? What's the first things you check? What kind of committee you need to assemble to to face these kind of situations? And how to report and, you know, how to avoid crunching so many hours into, you know, into crazy hours in the morning because eventually that will create burnout in the team and how to manage this kind of situations. It's always tricky. Uh, of course, we still don't have at the point of recording this podcast, we didn't have all the information on how, what, what happened essentially. But we thought that, you know, since we are recording more more, let's say, more current happenings in the in this second episode or the second season of Life on Mars. We wanted to have these these kind of conversations going. And you know, I called Jordi yesterday. He's like, hey, can we record this? I've got an idea. Let's do it. And he's, you know, he's super kind, even though he's the city of a scale up right now, he's always got some time for for us. It's one of the best, one of the best persons out there. Uh, I would say he um to give a little bit of context, Jordi, we met when he was working at Wacky, he was the CTO of this of this video base, video on demand company, sort of like kind of like a super local uh, Barcelona based Netflix. And um, he hired us right away. We were like only six months old as a company, and he was like, "How do you work?" I explained a little bit, and he's like, "What's your rate?" This okay, you're hired. I said, 
What? What? I'm not. I'm not used to that. You know, you go into a client, you have the conversations, typical sales cycle, three, four, five, six, eight, ten, whatever number of um, sales meetings, and you know, meeting with the CTO, meeting with the uh, meeting with the CEO, and whatever, and then you send a proposal, and then contract, and then you know, uh, there's all these other departments getting involved, and eventually you might get hired, right? And he was like, "No, you're hired." Um, I do things differently. If you guys fuck up, then you're out and that's it. But I, I need you right now. And we totally loved that. We ended up working for Wacky for about like four years, then interrupt, you know, kind of like, uh, on and off a little bit more here and there until we, we kind of like lost the, uh, they descent, they recentralized their development in Germany, if I remember correctly. And, and we haven't worked together ever since, but then, you know, he can transition to, to other companies. Right now, he's the CTO at this travel-based company called the Hotels Network. Um, but anyways, this conversation, I think, because it was really improvised, but it's very valuable for startups because, you know, every company goes down. And no matter how hard you push your team, no matter how many site reliability engineers you hire, no matter how good your dev providers, if you work with the agencies or engineers are, your site is going to go down because... GitHub will go down, Amazon will go down, you will fuck up with your DNSs, you will fuck up with whatever line of code that shouldn't have been pushed to production. There will be some human mistake uh, happening and going into production. So that will happen. You need to know how to act when it happens and reduce the, the, the risk and reduce the cost of everything that's happening while you're down, right? Of course, you don't know how to prevent this, but uh, you can always document it for later so that you cannot, you, you don't repeat the same mistakes. That being said, um, this episode is a little bit techie. So if you're working in DevOps, you're a system administrator, you're an SRE or uh, somebody related to working in this area of the industry, you will like it a lot. But I think there are many takeaways also from the business and management perspective. What else? A couple of things. I'm... A little bit in shock because I just come from a meeting uh, with one of our friend companies in the industry. Um, this is not publicly available, so I will not be able to disclose it, but they sold the company to another company we really like, both working in the rails industry. It will be disclosed, I hope, in the next days. Uh, I'd like to talk about that. We'll have to invite both of them in the, in the podcast uh, because I think both of them have been in the podcast. One of them has been in the podcast for sure many times. The other one, not yet. Uh, they were supposed to be in the podcast last season, but um, I think we couldn't coordinate properly. We did something together on Clubhouse, if I remember correctly, and maybe one thing or two here and there. But um, of course, we have coincided in the in the rails in the Ruby community in Barcelona. That's all I can say. I hope I I could tell you more about it, but you will find out in the in the next days. But um super excited because I, I love both companies. We're really great friends with both of them. We have worked with both of them. And and that's great news for everybody, great news for the ecosystem, great news for Ruby, because uh, you know, the it's technology is still going strong. Another good news before we go into the episode itself is that we have officially announced that we're getting back together after two years of not meeting. After two years of not seeing the team, we're officially doing our Martian Day or get together offline for the first time in January 2022, right? That's going to give a lot of motivation boost 
to the team. And it's exciting. We want to see them back. We want to see them in person, of course, following the strictest safety measures and whatnot. We hope that in January we'll be in a better position. Without further ado, let's jump right into this episode. Victor, Jordi, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Fine. Thanks. Thanks for having me today. Thank you, Alex. Quite good. Having a better time than some of our colleagues a couple of days ago. <laughs> in fact, we're going to be talking about that. Um, as I mentioned in previous episodes of this season of Life on Mars, we'll be talking more about some things that are happening right now, right? And yesterday, there was this major, major systems down in Facebook, and we wanted to cover that. So I quickly, you know, quickly reached out to Jordi, who's an expert in in this. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, he used to work at um, at uh, at Rakuten as the CEO of Wacky TV or Rakuten TV back in the day. Also, Victor, um, uh, who's also an, an engineer in the field. So, and thank you for being here so quickly because it's it's it was basically a matter of half an hour agreeing to do this and just barely no preparation. So who, who wants to explain basically what happened yesterday to, to Facebook, Instagram, and the like? Like in, in, in two minutes, what happened there for people who have been hiding in, uh, under a rock in the last two days and haven't noticed about this? Maybe, uh, Jordi, you want to explain that? I would say that first of all, uh, at least for sure for myself, no, we are quite far away from, from, from being at... Uh, site reliability engineering or uh, for sure at the volumes that uh, Facebook or these large companies are. So first, uh, as a disclaimer, no? so we're here watching what happened, uh, trying to read as much as possible to understand what happened and, and, and quite far away in, in most cases of our day-to-day. -day, no? But basically, uh, when Google, Facebook or all these companies big companies go down, everyone notices, no? Your mom, your dad, your, your wife, your husband tells you, Facebook is down, Google is down. What's about with my life? I cannot access uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, WhatsApp. So if you consider those three services alone, I don't know, but that's reading uh, on the internet, that's two digits of the bandwidth consumption on a daily basis, no? Percentually. So, so <laughs> it's huge. It's, so... So uh, and you start yeah, thinking. actually, sorry, Jordi. Uh, actually, my, my wife uh, asked me, um, "Is internet down?" So I thought it was down. I thought it was internet. Yeah. Well, uh, so uh, Facebook is not working. Uh, WhatsApp is not working. Instagram is not working. And internet should be down. They well, cannot because be down it's because it, because it's a large a large percentage of the traffic being consumed in, in on the internet. No. So so, and we are well. We all were wondering what's going on from a technical side. Why is why there are no news? No, why why is it taking so long? Because for any of us with operating an online service, when anything goes down, you start running like crazy, and depending on how serious it is, it takes you minutes to tens of minutes to, to bring it back, or maybe more. But you expect that Facebook, Google, those large companies. Uh, they have, because we know they have, they spend a lot of money in quality uh, quality assurance, quality testing for any single process that they have. There's a lot of automation. There are different teams. There are a lot of measurements. There are recovery plans. And in fact, they have recovery plans and they test it. Not like in a lot of places that 
there are recovery plans, but you don't know if they have been tested or not. No? So all of a sudden, you expect, well, something went down, they click a button, they execute a plan, and in minutes they're up. And it took hours. And those hours meant a lot of money for the company and shareholders. No? Everyone is talking about the billions that uh, Facebook lo lost in capitalization and so. But basically, it's like if they disconnected themselves from the internet. You Which is something you that, that, that happened, right? Right. I mean, I was reading that um, I think they, they lost something like 50 Don't quote me on that. Like 50 billion? 50 billion. 50 billion. Which is bigger than Twitter's valuation, right? So that's, that's actually huge. And they were, they were losing like, um, I think it was like one, po uh, one to six billion an hour, which is something incredible, right? Uh, that happened because um, there was some kind of a mess up in the BGP uh, protocol, Uh, I don't know, maybe Victor, you, you want to you wanna tell our audience what's the difference between DNS and, and BGP because it's uh, maybe some people are not familiar with these protocols. Yeah, uh, well, the DNS is the, is the protocol that uh, allows us to contact servers on the internet. No? At the end, uh, we just write URLs in our web browsers. We write uh, twitter.com, facebook.com. And then there's the DNS in the middle that it's translating all those friendly names to IP addresses, no? The the mm -hmm. the addresses of those servers or those bigger bigger systems that uh, serve as the the applications at the end. Mm -hmm. And uh, around that or. Um, aside of that, there's the, the BGP, the BGP protocol. It's a, it's a protocol that is used in uh, in the big in the big uh, internet routers, the backbone of the internet. Oh, every ISP or service provider or bigger oh, the biggest networks in the world like Facebook or AWS, etc., has those big um, routers that talks between them, we can say they talk between them using the BGB protocol. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of like what Jordi mentioned, like right? not everybody works at the BGP level, right? Only Facebook, Google, and a few more. So which kind of shows the big dependency we've got on these tech giants, because when Google's DNSs are down, half of the internet is down, right? So, yeah. you know, we've seen that uh, early on. So kind of like for an, an, an analogy for non, non so technically savvy people is like, you know, DNS would be like having the coordinates. If you're flying a plane and you want to go to an airport, DNS is sort of like the coordinates of the destination airport. And BGP would be the kind of communication that happens between the routing towers, right? And uh, you can like tell the towers like, and calculates the fastest route that you need to take in order to reach that destination airport. So I don't know, um, one, one of the things I wanted to discuss here is because it seems that there was some kind of automation problem here, right? Somebody was uh, uh, messing with the BGP tables and some kind of automated bot merged some code changes that shouldn't have been merged, right? Um, in your experience, like, you know, all of these automation, it seems that automation solves a lot of problems, um, especially in the companies, makes the processes more efficient, less Uh, human error um, prone and all of that. But when you fuck up, you fuck up big time. What kind of problems have you seen with automation in your, in your companies? Well, I think that, and I'm pretty sure that there were a lot of automation tests to test yeah. that those changes were correct. So uh, I have no doubt. And, and that those changes have been tested before in, in other environments and been reviewed and everything. 
Unfortunately, those automated things do whatever we have told them to do. Correct. So it is true, it's automated, but someone wrote that automation. Mm -hmm. So at the end, it's a human mistake. Uh, it's automated, but someone wrote that automation and, and told the machine, if this, this, and this happens, then do this. So that sequence of decisions, it is true that the machine is taking with the orders and the variables that we have given them. So it could have been a, an automated script, an automated bot, an automated whatever, or could have been a human saying, okay, this has passed all the quality, this has been reviewed by 10 people, this has been tested in three environments, apply. I think that there's, there's not much difference between both of them. Automations are here to help us be more productive. And we use a lot of automations from personal tasks that we run with our automated scripts and small things to large decisions in the company. No? The, the issue is that at the end, as human beings, we do mistakes. Yeah, there's a combination of that. Oh, sorry, Victor, you want to go? Uh, uh, sorry. No, I just wanted to add to, to what uh, Jordi said, that uh, the automation, uh, in fact, it's a good thing. So it was not a, a problem with, with the automation itself, but... Uh, of what, how the, how the automation was constructed, not what's instructed to do. Uh, it's, in fact, it's preferable to, to have automation in those processes because uh, humans, we as humans, uh, commit most, uh, more errors than, than the automation, than the automated yeah. things. Exactly, but we just don't want to. We don't want to take responsibility for that. Like it's like, oh, the fucking robot messed up, right? Um, it, it's a combination, actually. For what I, re I, I read it in, in a tweet. I haven't found it in an article, but it looks like there was this sort of automated processes that require human validation for two days. And if if the human who was validating this didn't approve nor deny, it automatically merged. So Which somebody forgot to check. And so Which it's actually a human mistake, right? <laughs> I, I, even if it was not that, we have a lot of those processes in our companies with, uh, with code. Yeah. We, have, we have pull requests that if in 48 hours no one has approved them nor denied them, it, they automatically are merged. The they go to production? Is, in our case, it doesn't go to production, but it's, okay. it's, it's, it's merged into the master branch. So next commit or next deployment of that master branch, it goes to production. It doesn't go automatically, but okay, gotcha. in, in, in the next deployment, if you're not aware, you might be deploying something that you're not aware, but there was a process that said, if in 48 hours, no one said it was not valid, it goes there. Yeah. So, and at the end, we do this to be more efficient, to win time for ourselves and the company. Mm -hmm. What can you do? Then, then you can do what we have all done in the past. It's not 48 hours and it's 72. And it is not two reviewers, it is three. So yes, yes. we can, we, we can make it as complex as, as we want. But the more complex it is, the slower we go. And we try to go as faster as possible, minimizing the impact. But when something like this happens, then we are all trying to uh, figure out how to do it better. It happens. I was speaking with my brother who works in, uh, in Google and he was saying, hey guys, uh, when this happens to one of your colleagues or companies you, you, you look, then all of a sudden everyone in the company is checking all our processes because you don't want it to happen. Uh, yeah. So those, those things normally helps us review the processes, the protocols we, we run and try to see how much we can improve them or we want to improve them. 
Exactly. One of the things, like for instance, in this kind of, uh, there are also like not only technical processes that require this kind of time-framed human validation, right? For instance, in the company in Marspace, like I do the sales, but I, I usually don't do the quotes, right, for the estimates for the clients. I send the information to my partners and they know they have 15 days in 15 or 10 days, something like that. If, if they don't respond and they don't come up with a document by that time, I will send my version, which can be 10 times worse, but they've had the time, right? Um, but going back to the topic, so basically what happened here, like the, the main, you know, the headline is that basically erased, uh, Facebook erased themselves from the internet, right? By erasing these BGP rec uh, records, DNS records, whatever, they just basically, they were not reachable, which means that they were not reachable from outside of the network. So, you know, visitors trying to reach facebook.com, but one of the funniest things I read, and this is true, confirmed also by Facebook, is that people couldn't enter their facilities, their offices, because the the IoT sensors they have, they're also connected to these routing tables using the DNSs of Facebook. So they couldn't, you know, they, they just they couldn't pass through the detectors and that wouldn't work. So they couldn't physically access the offices. Um, I don't yeah. know if that's something too big of a scale, but I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Uh, how, what's the protocol of emergency in this kind of, you know, system down emergencies in your companies, maybe? Which one do you want to describe? Victor, you want to go first, maybe? What do you well, do in these uh, cases? Yeah, I, uh, depending on the on the case, no, we evaluate the impact on the, on the users. Um, of course, uh, we have not suffered uh, luckily mm -hmm. for us, uh, suffered anything like like that, no, being disconnected from the uh, the, the, from the, the lock from the door, disconnected from the internet. We cannot we cannot enter the office. That didn't happen to us. But uh, in a case of an outage or, a, or a, an incident, we first evaluate what it's uh, how is it impacting our users or our internal users, maybe. Or, or the systems in, in general. And, and then uh, there's a, a protocol, a process, an incident response protocol. We start, usually we have a, a, a private communication channel that raises all alerts. It's a special channel no, in Slack where you enter there and if, if there's something, someone talking there, uh, something heavy is happening no? uh, you know you know that and then we start uh, first we need to evaluate what's the impact uh, going through the details of the incident and um, gathering all the possible information uh, of, of what happened and then stop the bleeding no we need to take some actions to stop the bleeding as soon as possible and then uh, at the end, when uh, everything is fixed, maybe apply some uh, more uh, deeper corrections to, to that. No? And in the middle of that, there's the, the post-mortem uh, coming from, from the incident, where we reflect all the, all the timeline, all the actions, that the immediate actions taken, taken to, to solve the issue. And then at the end, there's uh, some corrective actions and, and they're responsible for, for that, no? Let's I start from the very the... beginning. Sorry, sorry to bring it up. Let's start from the beginning. Where do we, when do you define this in the life cycle of a startup, the, the, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, 
I think that it, that you need to have c certain scale. Uh, yeah, when you, exactly. When, you wouldn't do you, it on preset, pre right? No, no, no. no. I, I, I wouldn't think that you do it on Series A. <laughs> uh, why? First, first of all, is when you start writing or trying to put those processes, is because you know some of the things that might happen because they have happened already or you bring them from your previous experiences. So there are things that are quite easy to document on typical failures and typical things that happen. And it is easy to have a protocol quite well written on mm -hmm. what are the steps to follow. Because you write Correct. it for your team, you write it for junior guys. Uh, that, that's easy. But it's much more complex, which Victor is reflecting, is something happens and you have the alerts of something's going on, but you don't know yeah. The, the, the cost, no? which might have been a couple of days ago in, in Facebook. Everything yeah. goes down. Why? You know? So the first thing is you start digging like crazy, trying to, to understand first what's going on, second what was the, the cost, because with that then you can start reviewing or thinking if you already have processes in place or you need to work them as, 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 as it goes. No? Yeah, I'm pretty right. sure I'm pretty sure there was no written uh, process or uh, disaster recovery plan for this. I'm pretty sure they have it for when they lose databases, for when they yeah. lose a lot of components, but no one ever thought... Not this one. Uh, ...you would plug yourself off from the internet connection. So uh, then what happens, as, as Victor was saying, if you do correctly your work, call it post-mortem, call it as you want, then you write what happened, what were the actions taken uh, in yeah. order to, to come back to life, and you review which ones you already had identified, documented, and processed, and the ones you didn't. And for those, you first evaluate how often might that happen, but second, you document what to do so that next time it happens, instead of having to go through again and again and looking, the first thing you would do is run a plan that you had because something similar happened. So I'm pretty sure that there are new documentation, new processes in place in Facebook and in a lot, <laughs> right of, com and in a lot of companies that run similar infrastructures on what to do if something like this happens. What, what would be like the first things you would check in the case of having your systems down? Uh, typically, what's the first things you check, Victor, and how do you build up from there? Um, yeah, as, as, as Jordi said, uh, you, you don't, as you said to Alex, uh, you don't do this in a, in a small scale company, in a, in a early stage startup. Correct. Uh, you are learning from, from your past errors. It's a process of learning and improving processes. And yeah. Um, so. When this happens at a bigger scale, a little bigger scale than uh, than an early stage startup, uh, you start having a monitorization system in place. So that's the main um, clue that mm -hmm. can you guide through the incident. No, you mm -hmm. see in your in your alert channel that something is wrong. What is going? What what is wrong? No, uh, what could be wrong from that? Uh, uh, usually, uh, it's not uh, what you are seeing. It's not the cause. Uh, there's an underlying cause that is causing the other they are seeing. But at least you have a, a, a enough um, 
big layer of alerts that can uh, guide you through the through the through the root cause, no? And that's the that's the first step. I, th I think that, that that helps you know see where the the smoke is coming, yeah, uh, okay. and then see if there's fire or not. But at least you see the the, the smoke, no? I would say that the typically thing that the first of all we would ask is. Has someone did a change in the infrastructure? That's the first question you always see. What's the last deploy? No? What's the last deploy? What's the last yeah. infrastructure change? We went through a quite intensive outage a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Which is not, which is not that scale. Can you give more details about that and how you sold it? Or is it confidential? Yeah, it was our, no, no. But, I don't know if it's confidential or not, but because we... No, so, nobody listens to this podcast. No, well. no, no, no. <laughs> no so, so, so we have a feature launched with a major refactor, with new providers, with new technology, which had yeah. been working perfect for a couple in of weeks. In my computer, it worked, right? No, 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 no. In production, in production. Two weeks working oh, in production. With, with, uh, there will be a post about it because the improvements we've done are unimportant. And all of a sudden, it stopped working. First thing you do is you check. There's been no deployments for the last six hours. There's been no infrastructure change in the last six hours. So all mm -hmm. of a sudden, you gather the people who know from your side and from our partner. Uh, second thing we did is, fortunately, we had a, a quite easy rollback, which was going back to the previous version, which was Correct. not as performant, but it was performant in production. So the first thing we did is switch off, switch on, uh, but then it took us a couple of days. It didn't took us four hours. Oh, it is also wow. it is also true that since we had that backup, that it was switching it on and the functionality was working, and the most improvement was internal, not external. We could say, okay, it's two a.m. Let's go to sleep and we'll take it tomorrow. Okay, yeah. but but the first thing you you check is have there been any changes lately that could affect this. Yep. And in some cases, you find it, oh, we did a deploy 10 minutes ago or an hour ago, and then right. you start digging there. In this case, we f didn't find it, and after an hour, we said, okay, let's roll back to the old version. It yep. is a pity, and we'll keep in parallel this one running, and, and, and we'll check. Um, unfortunately, for Facebook, they couldn't do that. <laughs> there no, is of no, course not. There is no other internet connection, so it's not like changing this cable to this other one. I'm, I'm going to connect to Google, see what happens, <laughs> like from Facebook. No, but what, what, then what was the case in your, you know, was it a, like a third-party dependency or what was uh, it? So out? We, we think, and with our partner, because we haven't found exactly the cause, that uh, there was some issues with uh, a cluster we're using with some certificates that should have been rotated... Unfortunately, this is one of the things where, where, where you're not that satisfied because you don't have all the details or you're not sure to pinpoint this was the problem and this was the solution. It is mm -hmm. solved. That, that, that's even more scary than when you know the problem and you apply the solution. Uh, when, 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 yeah, no, no, uh, uh, that, that's very interesting because sometimes you really don't know, like you roll back and it works and you don't know why, but you fix it, right? But, but of course, you need to go back to the, the to the and we went back. that was not working so, yeah so, so so we went back again to the to, to that infrastructure with some uh, changes done and it is working perfectly but for our partner on our set one of the things is and we we are still oh, wow. evaluating investigating is we both want to know exactly uh, if anything happened and why because if it happens again then the problem is we will not have them and i uh, that uh, Correct. process 
well written to say, okay, we need to go here, here, and here and change this and this. Restart the router. That's usually what it works, right? It, but it, maybe, it, maybe, it, maybe it, it could have been. What do you communicate in these cases of emergency? And when is it a good time to, okay, let the world know that we are down, we're fixing it, we'll be out for... What's, what kind of messages do you go for and when's the right time to communicate? Does it affect your customers or not? Um, let's say yes. Let's say yes. <laughs> let's say... I mean, in the case of Facebook, it was pretty obvious, right? But also, yeah, I mean, but in your, your case, I mean, even if you're like B2B, no. B2C... No, no, no. Uh, it yeah, affects, right? It affects, no? I like being transparent, uh, but as yeah. transparent as you can be, because sometimes when you don't know what's going on, it's difficult to be transparent, because if normally your customers will expect not only that you tell them that you're out, but how long do you expect it to, exactly. to be up again? And giving answers that are not certain and that do not provide certainty is as bad as not saying something. Yeah, good point. Yeah, you want you want to you want to give some sort of hope to the end user, right? But in the case of B two B, it's also very critical because even though it might not have an an affection or maybe it doesn't show to the end user, you're losing even more money because that's usually where the money comes from, right? So how do you coordinate with the teams, for instance, in a in a B two B emergency like? When you don't know whether it's you or them. No, it's funny because when I was hearing Victor, it's similar to us. We have a special channel which is called War um, Room. Okay, War Room. Uh, okay. Same as us. Same, same, same name. Same name. So, so <laughs> if something, if you see that Slack channel ticking, you should be worried. And then we have internal channels with our sales and customer success teams. And okay. there are a set of messages that are automated. There are others that are manual. And we try to be very explicit there on what's going on so that they can reach out to our customers. They can notify them what's going on. And of course, be as open as possible with uh, what's going on, timelines. And in fact, now we are reviewing a couple of tools that automate that process better and that provide more in insights and post-mortem information easier. Uh, it is true that you have to balance you know, the technical with the business information. If you put and that technical information on those uh, shared channels with marketing, sales, and success, it provides zero value that you talk about BGP, DNS. Correct. They don't get it, and your customers do not care. And at the end of the day, if your platform is not working, they cannot sell, so they cannot push the marketing. Uh, but thank you for the assist. I was going to bring up what kind of tools are you guys using in your companies for you know, proactive error detection, uh, load balancing and uh, log uh, rotations and whatnot, kind of like what kind of, what kind of tools are you using there? Um, well, in our side, uh, we mainly, uh, we mainly use the, the alerting, no? Um, in, in our case, we use Datadoc. Yeah. Okay. Alerting is uh, an observability, no? It's having all the, it, it's a difficult thing to have all your applications um, with with perfect visibility, you know, it's a process that takes a long time, a lot of time to to improve, and you are always it's an iterative process. You are always working on it, always improving the observability of the applications. You no, know? it's not easy to uh, see everything, and especially in complex systems as uh, distributed systems as 
as microservices architectures and and things like that. No, uh, it's difficult to see in detail what are the interactions, interactions, all the interactions that are happening between all the pieces, no, in in the system. So uh, that's where you want to put the focus on. You need, you want to uh, instrument a lot and increase as much as you can the, the observability of your plat platform to be able later to alert based on those on those metrics. No? We, do quite, we do something quite similar. We also use Datadog. And, and one of the things that I think we all learn is that observability is key. Uh, monitoring is key, but it is very important to know what to look for. No? When, oh, yeah. when, when, because there's a tendency in trying to look too many things and too much information. It's noise. It's noise. So, yep. so how you clean and how you refine that information is key. And how we, I, I, I like to say that our, our, our systems are uh, alive. When I, what do I mean by alive? That mm -hmm. they keep evolving. And the same way our systems evolve, our monitoring, our observability changes. So, so there are things that you were looking for yesterday that since the system has changed today, those monitors, those alerts do not, do not provide the, the right answer today. No? So, so it is a, a, a life infrastructure, life code, life everything, which means that your, those monitors, those alerts are live too and need to be changed constantly. If not, then as Victor was very well saying, it's noise. You get alerts, you go and see and everything is up and running. Ah, we forgot to, to delete this, this alert, this system is no longer there or this endpoint is no longer there. Or So, so that is, is, is quite important. No? It's not only having the tools, it, it's knowing what to look for. And what is the kind of team that gets involved in these emergency setups? Right, like from CTO top down, like what what kind of team do you need in order to work? Because you also don't want to put too many people working on this, right? There needs to be yeah. a balance. So, so you need the right people. Yeah, I know. <laughs> How do you keep the right people? Is the it right like you know site reliability engineers? Is it like also some developers? Is it a VP of technology? I mean, I, we know that the CTO is not helping very much because you no, barely know bring, you barely know what's going it's on. Bring, it's bringing pizza and beers. Uh, I think that emotional support. Emotional support. Yeah, I think that you need the, the, a core team, and then you start pulling people uh, from different places. But you, of course, you would need your system reliability. Call it system reliability, sysops, DevOps, yeah. infra. Yeah. Yeah. Platform. Most, proba mo most probably, you need your top guys in in, in development. Uh, most of the okay. times, what fails is not the infrastructure. It's All the right. code, it's the code running on top of the infrastructure. Shots, shots have been fired. <laughs> no, no, no. I be, because normally, or at least in a lot of organizations I've seen, course, there yeah. are others that I like how they do it because this uh, ongoing monitor alerting is more distributed across all the teams. But in a lot of organizations, it's tend to think that it is the 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 the, AC, the, 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 the infra team in charge. And most normally, our infrastructures which are in our cases, cloud-based and so, they don't fail. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon barely, and it does. Any once in a while, we have a, a, a service from Amazon that goes, yeah. or Google that goes down. But or GitHub. But, yeah, yeah. 
They, 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 they sure has a, a, a better SLA than you. Yeah, and even a better team than we do. So, so you start with that core team, and as you get more information by seeing the alerts, by seeing uh, where the fire is, a lot of cases you need to, to bring on the guys who have been developing that, even if it's infra or if it is uh, software, no? So I would say that you start with a smaller team and you, you scale it on the emergency as, uh, as more information you have and you, you know who's then the right people to, uh, mm-hmm. to talk to. Usually, I mean, these kind of outages, they're shorter than the one we saw yesterday in Facebook, right? Usually, I mean, of course, they can go to 48 hours. I don't know. That's, that's sort of the outlier. But usually it's one to two hours. This one took a little bit longer because people couldn't access remotely to the tools they because, used to fix it because there was no way in, right? <laughs> be, be, because for complex systems... Correct. There are complex solutions. And in this case, when you see the cascade of things that happen because you took a decision on how to build that architecture yes. and you never thought, or maybe they thought, but that the process was not properly implemented, you never thought that you would plug yourself off and yeah. what it cost more than just the, the, the public services, but all the private infrastructure, all the private services. When you read the postmortem, it, we could not access the buildings. We could not access routers. We could not access. And then how, and it's amazing how you bring up all that because you would have said, I switch it on and that's it. No, 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 my friend. Then you have all the power issues. Then you have all the bandwidth consent. So, yeah, uh, it is. Uh, since the outage was so big and so complex, bringing it up, it was big and complex. So kudos to them. I mean, the the work was amazing. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have liked to be in that position. No, no, no. My my point being, usually when we've seen, you know, WhatsApp is down, Facebook is down. Usually it takes an hour to fix it. So, you know, forty minutes, thirty minutes, something like that. This was at the core of the company, right? At the core of the technology, at the core of the internet, if you think, will. So think of think of your car. No. If, yeah. Exactly. If there's if there's a scratch, you go to the body shop and it's done quite easy. If it's the yeah. engine, it's gonna take a while. Yeah, you're fucked. Yeah. No, that's that, that's that's my point. But the thing is, like, how do you? Go, I mean, for these longer, what's let's say, let's what's the longest emergency situation you've been in a company, and have you pulled all nighters? Because uh, you know, I've been in a couple of those. And I want to hear your experiences and how do you motivate the team to go? You know. One more hour. It's five fucking a.m. But we need to solve it. Like, how do you? How do you do that? Like, for the full disclosure, we haven't done that much space. I'm speaking about previous companies. Companies. We don't even have a war room channel in our Slack. That says a lot about this company. But you should you should I, create you should create one just for the sake of having one. Just for the sake of having yeah. you know a, a tumbleweed every day, like saying no 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 emergencies. That that's good. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we're gonna do it. No, but like, um, what's your experiences in this very long, or like late at night? How do you push? How do you motivate the people? Besides pizza and beer, that's good motivation. I think it's ownership, no? It's uh, ownership. At the end, as professionals, yeah, you feel an attachment and an ownership to the service you're providing. Yeah. So, so I, what's the motivation you have? First, professional. You want things to go up and running, then you have your customers. And at the end, your customers are paying your bills and your bills are paying your salary. Uh, so 
I think that I have never found a situation where the team was not there um, willing to give 1,000%. Yeah, me neither. Well, I mean, it's, 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 it's a matter of us as professionals, we want to bring it back. We need to do whatever is needed. Also, there's I think there's the, that that engineering or, or geek itch no that scratches you. Yeah. Something yeah. is not working, and it's a technical a technical a tech challenge to to solve it. No, so you spend more and more hours until you you don't go to sleep. You cannot go to sleep if there's something broken. No, that, that's a good that's a good point. Actually, I was not going to go into that, but you brought up a really good point. Like we engineers or developers were super driven um by the by the by the this thirst of knowledge right it's like i want to know like i cannot go to sleep until i fix it however and science proved this it's much more likely that you will fix it the next day if you have a good sleep yeah. right yeah like jordi said like you know it's 2 a.m let's go to bed we'll fix it tomorrow and that's right? better that to, and then you wake up at 5 a.m and it's like i know i have it uh, you, you <laughs> that's better do to do if you can afford it that's that's the point we had a plan the previous plan that we could use but there's yeah. also uh, there's, i think there's also pride on it yeah uh, you're proud of your work you want to feel proud of what you've done you don't want your yeah. work to be down So, but tomorrow so that, you'll be exhausted. Like you will not oh, be in the office a, at 9 a.m. Well, don't, don't worry. Take, take the day off if needed. Yeah. Don't, but but you you have to do. You're a great boss. You're a great boss. I have got terrible bosses <laughs> in the past. They we we have nice. we have a, po a policy for that. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. Oh, can you yeah. can you explain a little bit about that? Victor? Yeah. If you have a in, if you are on call, for example, and you get paged that night because something yeah. happened, something big happened, you are spending some hours there fixing the the issue. And then there's a written policy in the company that you you are not um, you are not required to 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 show up at work at at nine the next day. You can okay. take some hours off if you need. Do you get paid extra uh, in your companies? Is that is also a policy including that, that, something that's like a, that? That's a good that's a, that's a good topic. <laughs> that's a good topic. I know, I know. Because especially in Spain, overtime is not paid. Right. In in so. my case, the uncles are paid. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, Jordi, <laughs> I don't. I'm not paid on overcalls. Okay. No, because like you know, in general, maybe we have some audience in outside. Uh, we do have a lot of audience uh, in the English feed of the uh, podcast outside of Spain, and I know, would say that oh. I would say that the, 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 it should be paid. I mean, you're out, you're out of work. Uh, But then we enter into how do you define who's on call, uh, those processes and so. But if you're asking yeah. me to be on call today, tomorrow, most likely I'm not going out with my wife and my kids for dinner because it, something might happen. What is the time that I should answer from when I get the call to when I should be taking actions? So all that, you don't start thinking until you get some scale And Correct. normally at that scale, you should have resources to do that. And if you have the resources, then you should value that that time, uh, that people's time. Then you should take the, 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 the normal measures, which are market standards, no? Which is how okay. you compensate that time. It is money, it is time, it is time and money. So I think that there are many ways of doing it. But I think you get to a point that you need to assess that to, as Peter was saying, write it down. Uh, so yeah. that everyone knows what they are playing and don't have to ask I was up until 4 a.m. should I be at 9 at the office or not no the, the policy Absolutely. says the policy Absolutely. says and, and the, the clearer the processes and the policies are 
the easier to to to, to run the, the 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 team and the service. No, actually, um, that's a very good topic. As I was, as I was saying, like overtime work is usually not paid. It's very rarely paid in Spain, especially in in dev and engineering teams. And that's something that you know. I remember when I was working in Germany, for instance, at 6 p.m. or 5 p.m. I don't remember right now. Um, whenever it was the, like the finishing time, uh, the boss would come and close the office. I was like, "Hey guys, we're going for beers," because it was cheaper for him to pay for beers and to pay than overtime. paying for the overtime, right? And so instead, and and because he was forced to pay for the overtime, right? If if we said like, if I reported at the end of the week, I work three extra hours, they paid immediately, no questions asked. Yeah, yeah. In Spain, good fucking luck. Right? I, I, so, would, I, I would say that things are changing, and, and, yeah, and, there are, okay. and there are companies doing it very bad, and there are a lot of companies doing it very well. Come to my office at six thirty and check if there's anyone there. No, I've been to your office at six at six right, but, at six oh five, and sometimes right. it's no, only the founders. And well, you. But, but, but what I'm, I think is that yeah. as, a, as the ecosystem grows and matures and there's people who have been in larger yeah. companies here and there, we try to do things better. So yeah. I see more and more companies doing things better. It is another discussion if you're a, a smaller company in every stage or whatever, then things are different. But if you scale up, your processes should scale up doing the standard in the industry. Perfect. All right, gentlemen, we need to wrap it up. One last minute, each one of you. We want to end this in a very positive note. What's the funniest story that you've got regarding emergency situations? Have you got something like, you know, somebody ordered like funny pizzas or we got so drunk or whatever in in one of these situations in the past? Can you share any interesting, well, I, I, funny part? I, I remember getting to the office in pyjama. What? Okay, okay. Let's hear this one first. Victor, you got time to think about yours. <laughs> no. Please elaborate. So we were running this uh, this video platform, Wacky TV, and, and I have a beach apartment close by to Barcelona where I didn't have internet. Yeah. And I, I could not connect with my phone and so, so I grabbed the car. I was at the office in 20 minutes, more or less, but it was 3 a.m. and I didn't even... I went to the office in, in pyjamas. The guy at the door, the, the, there was this uh, security man, was amazing. Me uh, parking there, getting off in, in pyjamas. What's going on? Well, I don't have internet at home. I needed to solve this. So I came and, and then we were talking and everyone was at home except me. So I, I sent a picture. I said, I'm at the office. But how are you? Pijamas. But you were not sleepwalking. You were you 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 were fully conscious and awake, right? Well, yeah, no, I, I had to take the car and go to the office. So you would be surprised what, what people do while sleepwalking. Victor, how about how about you? Have you got any like this or maybe well, not, uh, anything I, fun? I, I don't know. Um, nothing really funny, or I, I cannot uh, remember anything really fun or, or that. Uh, Normally. Normally, there's no fun. In no, no, very, very techy things uh, at the end with with nice outcome, but very happy ending. But I don't know how to uh, what to recall. Uh, yeah, I don't know the, the day. Maybe the day that what we, that we uh, we overflown a, 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 an integer column in a Postgres table. Because that happened to Basecamp not very long ago. Yeah, that they ran out of records. integers, right? Yeah, yeah we, we ran out of integers and we needed to switch to to to, to Pickings, no? The next the next mm -hmm. uh, 
field mm-hmm. type bigger than than the integers, yeah. and uh, that was a super super nice executed uh, solution. I think we, we managed to do that without almost any downtime, just with a degradation of the service, and that was a, a good experience. But <laughs> okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish with one of mine because I think it's a it's it's interesting to see how I gained the, the the ability to work remote in my previous company, which there was no remote policy. But basically, I was working in in one in one client that whenever it went down, I needed to kind of like get all the code base, recompile it, do it um, locally in my computer, and then you know apply some kind of workflow. The thing is, my my computer was so shit in that company. We had super cheap computers. I think it was like two gigabytes RAM, something like that. But I needed at least eight to compile that. So obviously the Java process, like, you know, it it went to shit every time, didn't work. And I said, I said to my boss every time, like, look, if I do it here, it's going to take like four hours, six hours. If I go home, I've got a laptop with that amount of RAM and I will do it in 20 minutes. And he was like, no, you need to do it in the office. Uh, you cannot leave until you fix this, blah, blah, blah. It happened three or four times, all right? And he wouldn't let me go because he was super obstinate, super corporate guy. The fourth time it happened, I said like, fuck you. I'm going home. I'm going to fix it. And if I fix it in less than half an hour, I'm never coming back to the office when there's these kind of emergencies, right? I went home, fixed it in 10 minutes. And that's when I, I reported to my bosses, so like, you know, the, the superior on top of him. And I said like, look, this is what ha- happens every time. You either give me a bigger, uh, like a better laptop or I'm working from home with my own laptop, whatever you prefer. Guess what? They do want to pay for another laptop. So Stay I home. ended up working from home <laughs> with my laptop, which is so wrong in Crazy. terms of privacy and and compliance and, and whatnot. But, you know, that's how I started working remotely in my last company. Anyways, thank you very much, uh, gentlemen. Um, is there any a lot. parting words, any last piece of advice for these situations you want to share with our audience? Or we can leave it here. Expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected, Victor. Expect um, Yeah, uh, that was the, as I read uh, somewhere in Twitter, uh, that outage in Facebook was the, the father of all outages. We all <laughs> yeah. need to learn from that. Yeah. That's a good one. All right, let's leave it here. Thank Take you very care. much, gentlemen. See you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you to you. We are Mars-based, an all-remote consultancy from Barcelona, specializing in web and mobile development. We help all kinds of companies, from startups to big corporations, to conceptualize, design, and develop solutions for their business using technology. And now, how can we help you?